0: This show is brought to you by Drift Outfitters in Toronto at 199 Queen Street East. Drift is remaining open during these difficult times, but with a new way of getting you your fly fishing goods without allowing customers into the shop. Visit them online at driftoutfitters.com to order products and take advantage of free shipping across Canada on orders over $100. Why not help them out during this difficult time for small businesses? Give them a shout out on Instagram. Got a great photo to share? Tag at Drift Outfitters. Also, you can tag your fly tying pics with hashtag self to show your friends and your followers how you're spending your downtime. Giving Drift more exposure and love right now is one way we can help keep them going. These are tough times, and we must find a way to continue supporting our community store. Visit DriftOutfitters.com for more information. Hello and welcome to another episode of So Fly. It is uh, March, middle of March, end of March. Actually, um, we're back online talking today um, over Zoom again. Still in the uh, still in isolation. My name is Mitch. We've got Aldo. Hello. We've got Yelma. Hey everyone. And we're talking with a, a very special guest today. We're talking with an author, a journalist, um, a fly angler, a playwright, uh, Mark Kurlansky today about his book "Salmon: A Fish, the Earth, and the History of Their Common Fate." Mark, how's it going?
1: Pretty good.
0: How are you? Oh, well, you know, as good as we can be uh, during these very strange times.
1: <laughs> very strange, yes. Yeah, strange is a good word. Whereabouts are you
0: calling from today?
1: Uh, Manhattan. Oh,
0: awesome. How's uh, how's the mood down there? It must be kind of an interesting uh,
1: place. I wouldn't know. I never see anyone. <laughs> it <was laughs> yeah, it's <pretty> that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: a very good point. Well, Mark, thanks for joining us today, and uh, also thanks for joining us over video chat. Um. Before we get talking about uh, Fish at All, I just want to start with, uh, we did a little bit of reading about yourself on your website and saw that you were a playwright. Um, what's your favorite play? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> just kick it off with one of those questions. Just a tough question to kick things off. You know? Oh.
1: They're very hard to say off the top of my head. I'm a great admirer of the Czech playwrights. I, uh, um. Eugene O'Neill is not bad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah you have a very interesting background. I mean you've uh, we saw that you've worked a whole bunch of jobs, um, including playwright, which was so cool. but um, you know you've worked as a, you've worked as a commercial fisherman, a pastry chef, a dock worker. is
1: that right? Yes. Um, you know a lot of this has to do with the fact that um, uh, when I was a playwright, which I don't really do anymore, yep. uh, you don't make much money. <laughs> so you have to do something else.
0: (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Okay, well, before we get talking about your book today, um, you are a fly fisher yourself, right? I am.
1: I am. I I come from New England, and I grew up surf casting. Oh, nice. And um, not fly fishing. Fly fishing was something I just thought rich people from somewhere else did and you know it was just surf casting uh stripers and blues um but you know the thing about surf casting is it really gets you into casting yeah
2: um
1: and then you know i i discovered in my early 20s that you know the ultimate in casting was was fly fishing yeah right
0: surf casting is an interesting what kind of species were you going for there
1: Oh, you know, in New England, it's, it's just mainly stripers and blues. That's cool,
0: right?
1: Oh, striped bass would be
0: so much fun. Do you remember your first, the first fish that you ever caught on the fly rod?
1: At a fly rod, I do remember the first, the first fish I ever caught on a fly rod was uh, a very small uh, brown trout in Scotland. I actually think it might have been a par
0: oh wow yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> that's an amazing first fish to catch on fly yeah ride.
1: really good
3: did you learn how to fly fish in scotland or was 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 that stateside
1: well you know learning to fly fish is a process right mm-hmm. uh, i learn a little bit every time i go fishing uh, <laughs> i started i started in upstate new york and then i did some uh i moved to europe and i did fly fishing in in scotland and in Basque country and um uh i think that i've really learned the most from uh out west idaho
0: well fly fishing like you say every time you go out it's a different uh time to learn something new um but why don't we jump over to sort of um your job as a commercial fisherman how did you find yourself working as a commercial fisherman
1: well, for um, reasons nobody in my family understood, I just always had a thing about fishing. I Nobody, my father was a dentist, you know, nobody <laughs> in my family was particularly into fishing. And I, I was, and um, I had a friend in high school who said he knew a guy who was a commercial fisherman. who uh, might be looking for somebody for the summer, and I contacted him, and he was, and It was a 45 foot wooden hull boat built in Bath, Maine. Um, We went out in uh, open ocean, way out in open ocean for lobsters under, you know, more than 200 feet of water, 200 feet of line. So he, you know, he wasn't really looking for skill. He was looking, I was sort of a big guy who could haul (laughs) 200 (laughs) feet of line. That was my job.
0: What was, like, what was the first kind of impression that you had when you were working on the boat? Like, I mean, if you go from not being a commercial fisherman to being a commercial fisherman, was it challenging?
1: Well, it was, it was very challenging at first because, um, you know, on that kind of a boat, uh, it really rolls a lot in open ocean. Yeah. So it took several days before I could figure out how to stand up. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know once you get those kind of sea legs, you know, I can stand on any deck anywhere yeah. now. Right, right. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that was sort of tough. Yeah. On the other hand, you know, seeing day, daybreak at sea, you know, in a purple sky is the most glorious experience. Oh, man, I can imagine. I, I loved being at sea. and I, I remember um, when we'd come into port, I think. Oh, look at all those poor suckers who have been stuck on land.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yep. I can imagine how nice that would be to. I've always, I've always dreamt of being a fisherman, but I think commercial fisherman, but I think I wouldn't last
1: very long on the boat. So I'm pretty soft. I, I, I love commercial fishing. I, um, um, I do whenever I can talk somebody into it. I, I went out with a couple of commercial fishermen in Alaska for my salmon book. Yes. Hmm. Um. Uh, great experiences. I don't know if it was great for them, but it was great for me.
0: (laughs) Well, okay. So how do we jump into the story then of how you got into writing this book about salmon at all? Um, I guess guess what interested you in the first place about writing in such in-depth book about salmon?
1: Well, you know, in in 1997, I came out with a book about cod. Mm -hmm. And this was at a time when the northern stock had uh, collapsed on the Grand Bank's uh, this greatest calamity in, in, in commercial fishing ever seen. And people, general public, for the first time, started thinking about issues of uh, fishery management and overfishing. And say the general public, because in the 1960s, when I was working with commercial fishermen, they were talking about this all the time. Right. Um, but uh, people sort of stayed on this idea and, you know, uh, talk a lot about it, and, you know, monitoring fisheries over the years, it's occurred to me that this is not um, really all that's going on. Mm -hmm. In fact, in a fishery today, if your only problem was overfishing, that would be a wonderful simple problem you know mm-hmm. just fix the regulate the fishing problem solve. Yeah. it's not like that it's it's far more complicated you have to ask why uh well-maintained fisheries are having diminishing stocks mm-hmm. um why for example salmon in the atlantic there's hardly any commercial fishing of salmon in the atlantic anymore and yet salmon stocks keep diminishing yeah. um, and so i thought it was time yeah. that we really based up to the other problems that fishing is facing and salmon was the perfect fish to do this on because being anadromous, living both in the river and at sea it gets hit by everything we do wrong
2: yeah
1: Um, and you know so salmon are suffering from the building of dams, but also from pollution and pesticides and bad farming practices and urban sprawl. I mean, building suburbs on riverbanks is a disaster. Yes. And uh, deforestation and um, climate change and climate change and climate change. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, so there's a lot of stuff that we have to face up to, and it, it, it actually. You know, it it, it occurred to me that really, if we want to save salmon, what we have to do is save the earth. Right. You know.
0: Yeah, it's all connected, right? I mean, because like you say, like the salmon are being influenced by all of these things that humans are doing. So it's a hand in hand, right?
1: Right. It's amazing. Almost everything bad that we do is killing salmon. Yeah. Jeez.
0: Okay. Well, I guess to to start at the beginning... How did you find yourself on a dock in Dillingham, Alaska, uh, with, with Olsen? Why, why
1: Dillingham? Why Alaska? Um, why did I go to Dillingham? I had gone to Dillingham the year before um, to talk to some people in the salmon business. And this guy, Ollie Olsen, uh, pulled up in his aluminum skiff, yeah. and he was a very affable Sort of rough hewn kind of guy, and I got along well with him. And he said, "Oh, you ought to come fishing with me." And uh, I said, "You know what? I will next year." He said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." I don't think he ever expected to see me again the next right. year. I showed up, said, "I'm ready." That's awesome. <laughs> That's
0: so funny. And he was just more than more than welcoming, more than willing to take you out.
1: Yeah, he was sort of like a warm-hearted guy, and you know, he, he had sort of a funny operation because. He was a uh, by trade. He was a sheep shearer in yes. Montana, which I don't know if you've ever uh, seen yeah. sheep shearing, but that's a kind of a tough business, also. Oh yeah, absolutely. Wrestling with these animals. Oh
3: yeah. <laughs> I, I was trying to picture this this man's life, where he shears sheep for most of the year, and then on his off time spends <laughs> spends it in Alaska wrangling not only salmon but also seems like a very green crew, as as you put yeah, it. Yeah, I was going to say. So what yeah. he
1: did was he would get a bunch of guys from Montana who, you know, like never been on a boat before. (laughs) And he talked them into going up there and um, the money they earned, which was, you know, a few thousand dollars for the summer, not huge, Mm -hmm. but where they lived in Montana, they they could never accumulate at one time that kind of money. Most of them went back and put a down payment on a house. Yeah. Uh, But these guys, you know, they didn't know what they were doing at all. <laughs> the only would shout, okay, go to the stern. The guy would look around and I go, Damn. <laughs> I
4: love that. That's so funny. Uh, it sounds like me.
3: <laughs> I mean, you do paint a pretty like beautiful picture like of going out in the ocean wrangling salmon and then coming back to a, a cabin with fresh baked bread and mm-hmm. It is quite romantic. I mean, I in a like, way, in a way, yeah. Like uh, I tell you, you know, you at
1: you have these openers mm-hmm. uh, because uh, the people regulating the fisher salmon is actually a, a relatively easy fish to to manage because they have such a uh, exact life cycle. We know where they are and what they're doing at all times. Yeah. So this is Bristol Bay, and they they monitored the salmon that come in, and when enough salmon have come in they'll say, okay, guys, you can go out there for the next, say, 15 hours, sometimes 10 hours, sometimes 20 hours. However long it is, you just fish nonstop for that period.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, this is Alaska in the summer, so there's no nighttime. Uh, actually, there is a nighttime. It's kind of beautiful, you know, but it's not dark. It's, right. The both sun and the moon are out, and it's it's just incredibly beautiful. Wow. Um, but uh, you know, hauling net after net gets gets kind of tough. So when you got in to the cabin, um, uh, Ollie's wife, who she he always correctly said was a saint, but the whole time we were out fishing, she was in baking.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it'd come up. And there'd be you know fresh breads and pies and all, all oh. of the stuff. Because oh. you know oh. it's it's that kind of exhaustion where you can't go to bed and sleep. Yeah, you know you're too tired for that, so you have to somehow
0: unwind.
1: Yeah, uh, eat some pie.
0: <laughs> yeah, God, that sounds amazing. I know the way you described, like smelling like fish in the ocean coming off of the uh, from a day of fishing and and all the the baked bread. And also, you put your the the beer bread recipe in there, and I got I got to try to make that.
1: Yeah, it's great. It's it's great. <laughs> I always add recipes. You know, it's, <laughs> I yeah. love recipes. it's so good. So good. so
3: was. Is- was Bristol Bay kind of a jump-off point for your research, or I mean, aside from like a lifelong of fishing yourself?
1: You know, I don't, I don't remember. It was I made a decision that Alaska would be my jumping-off point for the book. Right. I don't know if it was. I don't remember if it was the first place I went because I went there several times.
3: Right. Of course. Yeah. Um,
1: but uh, you know, there there really are only two viable salmon fisheries in the world alaska and the kamchatka peninsula in russia which i also went to later on mm-hmm. so i it, it made sense i wanted to start you know in a place that was working yeah. um so i i you know i talked about i went out with a couple people two people you could not have two people who were so completely different yeah. uh, and it it, it kind of it kind of showed the difference between uh sat netting and, and drift netting. Yeah. Uh, uh because you know, one is uh much more expensive, you got a more expensive boat. The other one, you know, you're you're just in this little aluminum skiff. And one fisher I mean, Ollie and those guys, they they were pulling the things out of the net and stepping on them. <laughs> they yeah,
2: throwing
1: them nice. all on the deck and stepping on them. And then Jeez. they'd go to the tenders and they'd shove them all in these canvas bags and they'd take them away. Uh, when I was out in the uh, uh, Copper River, actually fishing the Gulf of Alaska, but it was this was Copper River salmon um, on a uh, a, a really nice one-person boat with a spool in the back for hauling the nets, and uh, this incredible woman, Bea Thomas, who uh, I had known from previous trips to Alaska, and uh, she was very hesitant about taking me on board because she had taken people before and they'd gotten seasick right? uh, because it gets rough out at the Gulf of Alaska. But I, I, told her that I spent my youth fishing in the North Atlantic. So she said, "Okay, you can come." <laughs> and, uh, uh, but you know, it, it, you know, we, we'd haul in the the, the sockeye, and and um, she would uh, bleed them one by one, yank them from the gills, and bleed them, and I'd slide them into this uh, uh, hold of ice so they would be iced, and uh, you know, take really careful care of them. Uh, and you know, double the value of the fish.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So you talked about um, how salmon and the Earth are like so connected, and you know, they're a good um, way to kind of see how we're mistreating global warming and climate change. Um, how? What are some of the connections between salmon and and humans and the
1: Earth? Well, I mean, to begin with, just the settling of salmon country. I mean, why are Alaska and the Kamchatka the two best salmon places left because hardly anybody lives there. Right. Because the growing seasons are too short for agriculture, you know, um, to, to start with, uh, urbanization and farming are bad for salmon. Um, and anything that clears river banks, uh, a salmon river needs to have a forested bank, uh, It needs to have uh, the insect life on the bank, because they're insectivores, and um, it needs to have the nutrition that the trees put into the water, and big old growth trees that fall into the water and create, you know, if you're a fly fisherman, you know that salmonids need, uh, they need pools and fast running water and slow running water in these Uh, Fallen trees create that nowadays in Washington state. They're artificially building these things to replace what's gone. Yeah Um, But you know, so all all of this kind of life uh, uh, Hurts the salmon and clearing trees uh, Forestry, but also, you know for building things and building towns or this This urge that people have, you know to have a home. It's nice to have a home on the river Mm-hmm. If everybody has a home in the river, it's going to ruin the river.
2: Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it makes sense that urbanization and just development are things that are kind of uh, hurting salmon. Um, do you
1: think... Yeah, was- and, but also, you know, damming. Damming is Damming, war, yeah. yeah. I mean, blocking rivers is, is, is devastating because salmon have to get up to their spawning grounds. Yeah. And, and- you know, I when I was putting this story together, you know, I looked at the whole history going back to ancient times, and yep. there were certain things uh, that kept turning up, like you know, the blocking of rivers being a problem, and uh, there were constantly laws against blocking rivers. Even the Magna Carta actually specifies that the king oh. of England can't block oh. salmon rivers. Wow. Um, But, you know, these things were done. And I looked at this history and look at England, how in the Industrial Revolution, England built all these dams Mm -hmm. to power factories and the factories dumped pollution into the water. And before long, these rivers were completely dead. And then British people went to New England and did the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then. Wouldn't you know, it was New Englanders <laughs> who went to the Pacific Northwest with this great idea of, of building hydroelectric energy so that they could uh, develop the economy of the, the Northwest. Yeah. And I looked at all this and I thought, why aren't these people learning anything? Mm-hmm. And then I realized, because they're not trying to learn anything, because they're not unhappy. Right. They are accomplishing what they're trying to do. England became the greatest industrial power in the world. New England became the industrial center of North America. Right. In the Pacific Northwest, they they by creating energy, they turned a place that had little, very little economic activity into an economic powerhouse. Uh, biggest energy production, I think, in the world, certainly in North America. Uh, they were achieving what they wanted to achieve. And then I realized it's it's what we're trying to achieve. That's the problem. Yeah, it's our whole idea of economic development that's that's wrong. Um, and and the the you know what's the proof of it? The proof of it is that when uh, in in times of economic depression, um, uh, carbon emissions go down. Right. And in times of economic prosperity, carbon emissions go up. Or if you look at what's happening now with the virus. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I hate to say it, but this is really good for for carbon emissions. They're way down.
3: Oh yeah. I was seeing pictures of Manila um, pre and during the virus, and the pollution is much less. Oh yeah, much yeah.
1: less. Yeah. Yeah. Because all of the things we're doing that we call economic development are destroying the world, and. Um, we have to think in terms of economic development as something non-destructive that you can do. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people, particularly in the Republican Party, who put out this idea that there's a conflict between, you know, economic development and uh, taking care of the environment. So that you know, right. being careful of the environment, taking care of the environment means losing jobs. This, this is a you know, it's a it's a false uh, uh conundrum. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing that says that economic development has to mean uh, destroying the earth, mm-hmm. or that taking care of the earth means you can't have economic activity. Right. You just have to do it right.
4: Yeah, there should be like a harmonious way of uh, implementing this. You know,
1: right? You know, the, the the when European Americans came to North America and they saw these Native Americans who had societies completely based on salmon and they noticed that in spite of the fact that they were you know, so completely based on salmon, unlike them, their salmon stocks were not diminishing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So they had to figure out what, why, you know, the, it just, just was not uh, worth considering that uh, they were doing something better because everybody knows that white people are smarter. <laughs> so they came up with these uh, these ideas that, A, Uh, uh, the Indians uh, didn't have trade and commerce so they were only fishing for food Mm -hmm. and B they didn't have enough fishing skills to to overfish both of those things are completely wrong Uh, you know natives built villages and they traded from one village to another and salmon was a major commodity of trade Mm -hmm. and they were extremely skillful salmon fishermen so that if you read the journals of Lewis and Clark and Mackenzie and all the early explorers If they needed salmon to eat, they would go to the Indians because they were the ones who knew how to catch it. But what was different about Native Americans is that the founding principle of their economic activity, which was chiefly fishing for salmon, was that you can't damage the habitat. Yeah. You have to take care of the river. Right. So
0: I guess then do you think that um, overfishing... Because that's that's certainly not like a, a native thing. Overfishing, right? Because they had those practices in place. Um, right. Why is it that we have? Why is it that overfishing is it greed that that leads to overfishing from commercial
1: fishermen? Well, first of all, I never like the word greed used for fishermen. Fishermen <laughs> work so hard and earn so little money it's true. that you can never really call it greed.
0: That's a good point. <laughs>
1: um, it's 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 an it's a, it's a struggle to survive. A struggle to earn a living. Yeah. Um, and it actually, you know, the solution for commercial fishing is for fish to be more expensive. Right. Um,
0: it's really not overfishing then that's the problem when it comes to salmon populations.
1: Well, it's not for salmon at all. There's very little overfishing of salmon anymore. I mean, the few yeah. places with viable fisheries are are doing it very carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, there, in the past, there was overfishing. There was, you know fishermen have put nets across rivers Yeah, and all yeah. kinds of uh, bad things. But this was, uh, uh, this has really step-by-step step been, uh, done away with, as I said, and in for Atlantic salmon, uh, most of the fisheries have been uh, completely closed down.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you, th- you talk in your book about, um, indigenous people speaking about catch and release as being disrespectful, uh, because yes. they, they, because they see it as like, uh, you take it's, you eat. It, it's
2: an
1: interesting point. To, to to catch a fish just for the fun of it if you're not gonna eat it. Yeah. Uh, seems to Native Americans as being very disrespectful. Right. Um uh, this troubles me, but I keep doing it anyway. I, know. <laughs> I, know. I
3: think we I think we all do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh I I see I I, I see their point. Yeah. Uh, but uh, of course, their alternative they they live in a world where they uh, catch salmon to eat mm-hmm. and they you know they salt it or dry it or smoke it, preserve it to eat throughout the year and it's their food supply.
0: yeah
1: yeah um, exactly. If we all did that, that would be a problem. <laughs>
0: yes, for sure. So, okay, then what are your thoughts on, I guess, catcher and lease? I know as an angler, this is a question that I've thought about too. Like, it is kind of like exactly when you start thinking about it, it's kind of strange that we, we hook these fish just for fun and we put them back, I mean, to the point of... Uh,
1: yeah, and I, I think that this this whole debate over whether the, the hook hurts the fish is sort of bogus because... Yeah. it obviously I mean, does. It, it, it probably does. <laughs> but even <laughs> if it didn't, being yanked by the mouth through the water would probably be kind of stressful, <laughs> not a good experience. Totally. I mean, when I release a trout, I always say, and let that be a lesson. <laughs> yeah. And it is actually, you know, you find that you can tell how many fly fishermen have been in a stretch of water you're fishing mm-hmm. by the, the 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 savvy
4: of the fish. Yeah. Oh yeah, big time. Just so picky, they're so used to, you know, the flies that um, enter the water. Yeah, that. so some of the uh,
1: rivers in New England are like that, like yeah. the and kill. On the other hand, mm-hmm. you know, when you fish in the Kamchatka, where there hasn't been anybody, these guys will go for anything. You know? yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's really, it's the the biggest decision you have on fly selection is, you know, do, do you want a light-colored one or a dark-colored one? <laughs>
2: totally. And,
1: you know, it's like if you're fishing a fly for half an hour and you haven't caught a fish, they just switch to a, to a darker one or something. Yeah, right.
0: Yeah. So so yeah, knowing about, you know, thinking about the stress of the fish and and how it's uh, you know, there is obviously stress in the fish. Do you find a need for yourself to justify fly fishing and catch and release? Like do you ever talk yourself into it or think around that point?
1: Um well, I'm I kind of favor barbless hooks for one thing. So at least yeah. you don't hurt them that much when you when you take the hook out. Yeah. Of course you know, the thing with barbless hooks is that it's easier for them to get unhooked. Yeah. Um, so that's okay, because, you know, the whole idea of fly fishing is, is to, like, set everything against you, so there's more, exactly. more of a challenge. But yeah. where I hesitate is on Atlantic salmon, because i got to tell you, you hook an Atlantic salmon, it's a miracle. Yeah. You yeah. know, and you don't want to lose it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right,
0: yeah. And I hear that. It's
1: also the most incredible fish yeah. on your line. There's no experience like having an Atlantic salmon on your line. Mm-hmm. There's only been
4: one of us that have, you know, had that has um, witnessed that miracle, and
1: that's all. Which been. one of us was that?
3: <laughs> I was in that Gas Bay uh, this last fall, and that was the first. Uh, that was the first experience for me, and yeah, I'd have to agree completely. Um,
1: There's just nothing like an Atlantic salmon. I mean, yeah. Just yeah. the fury of this wild animal on your lines. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and uh, and it jumps. It's the salmon solar. <laughs> it does jump, yeah. yeah. like crazy. Um, it was pretty, yeah, when you're, it's interesting, like the Pacific Atlantic uh, comparisons when you're noting fish stocks, about the Atlantic being like, I think you said there's a 1.5 million Correct. or something.
1: In and the, then... In the Atlantic, and, 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 you know, in a good year, you get 60 million sockeye running into Bristol Bay. That's yeah.
3: an incredible amount of growth. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> it's wild. Hmm. Uh, what do you see as... I, uh, I mean, we talk. You're a commercial. You were a commercial fisherman, fond of commercial fishing, and fond of fly fishing. You, like it seems like those two camps. There, do you see a way in which those two communities can maybe start getting along and quit, quit? Well,
1: it's it. an interesting. It's an interesting thing because you know when I was fishing in New England, fishermen used to talk a lot about the sports fishermen and they had a conspiracy. They wanted to have the fish all to themselves, and you know cut out commercial fishermen, keep cutting down their tanks so that they could have it all to fish. And this is completely bogus because they were fishing for cod and halibut and haddock. And these are not fish that sports fishermen love. I mean, if you you get a cod on your line, the excitement is over. It's (laughs) It's just heavy duty to hauling it up. There's no fight, nothing. You know, so these are not sporting fish. But um, with salmon, you know, which is is rightfully the most beloved sporting fish, um, there is a real issue there. And in fact, sport fishermen are winning out over commercial fishermen. Uh, um, The maritime provinces and, uh, you know, Scotland and Ireland and all these places have uh, discovered Norway that there is more money in having an attractive sports fishing industry than in having a commercial industry. Yeah. And sports fishing, actually, in the Atlantic for salmon, is replacing commercial fishing. Right. Um, as far as getting along, I mean, you know, what, what you have here is a is is a is a class problem. You know, yeah. it's. Uh, fishermen see themselves as blue collar working people and sports fishermen. You know, I know a lot of blue collar uh sports fishermen. I mean, when I started fishing in New England, we were all blue collar, you know, it wasn't yeah. said, you know, the fly fishermen were fancy people, but the surfcasters weren't, yeah. Um, so th- this is not you know, a, a completely realistic thing, but it is a societal thing that, you know, it's, it's inevitable that, you know, the fishermen, are, the commercial fishermen are going to look on sports fishermen as, you know, fancy rich people. Yeah. Um,
0: do you have any, um, salmon stories that stand out as particularly memorable from, uh, any of the salmon you've caught over the years, be it Atlantic or Pacific?
1: Well, you know, the best stories are the ones you didn't catch. <laughs> yeah. True. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Um, and a bunch of those. But, oh, this is, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love this story. I was I was fishing in the Blackwater River in County Cork, Ireland, the famous salmon river. Yeah. And I was fishing with a woman named Glenda Powell who's reputedly the best caster in Ireland. Yeah. Uh, amazing that a woman would have this standing, but she won all the casting competitions and she's a great fisher. And so I was fishing with her and we weren't catching anything i caught one brown trout but we weren't catching any salmon and so i decided to take a break and do some fly tying with her husband and along the bank and she said well i know a spot i'm going to go and bring back a salmon so we tied a few flies and she she came back and where are your fish glenda she didn't catch anything and her husband said i would mark." You fish Glenda to a draw. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing! It's a good way of looking at
4: it. Yeah, it's a good way. I like that.
0: Glenda sounds really cool too. The way you described her in, her, in your book, um, she sounds like quite the character.
1: Yeah, she was. She was great.
0: Well, that's an, um, Ireland must be one heck of a place to go fishing for sure.
1: Oh, I, Ireland is it's it's wonderful. They have these these great rivers, and it, it, the great thing about fly fishing in Ireland is it is so. Ingrained in the culture, yeah, mm. right. Yeah, would you say yeah. that's the same from Scotland? In Scotland, yes, yeah, same with you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in Ireland, when you when you land, at the airport and the you know the the customer passport guy uh, says, uh, "So what are you doing in Ireland?" You say, "I'm fishing." He just smiles. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: great. I love it.
1: That's so good. Yeah,
0: Scotland, uh, Ireland, yeah. I mean, it's certainly like some really great fly fishing culture has come from those places.
1: Yeah, I mean, it really is, it really is part of the, the culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, just jumping back over to some of the problems facing salmon for a second. Um, hatcheries are obviously a problem. They present problems. Um, but it seems that salmon farming does as well and all the different variations of salmon farming. Um, do you think there's an end to this kind of mass consumption of salmon? Like, should there be an end to this? To this sort of thing, uh,
1: you know, I think it's a positive thing. It's it's providing an inexpensive uh, protein from the ocean. Yeah, uh, and and we need this. Um, it's causing a lot of problems, and they need to fix them, and yep. they know that. That. I've spent a lot of time talking to fish farming companies. They're well aware of these problems. They're trying to fix them. They've made some progress on some of them. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, having taken on environmental issues for my whole writing life, which I'm not even going to tell you how many decades that is, but <laughs> for a while now. And, you know, one thing I've come to think about environmentalism is that calling for a ban of something is a last resort that really what we should be trying to do most of the time is saying, you know, you're doing this wrong and you have to fix it. Right. Uh, you know, even, you know, mining companies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rather than saying you can't open the mine, and I've been campaigning with everybody else for years to stop them opening the pebble mine, the other alternative would be to say, okay, if you're going to have the mine, you have to do it right, because the way you're doing it now is wrong.
2: Right.
1: I was thinking what um, the CEO of one of the big fish farming companies um, in Scotland said to me, he said, you know, I, I talk to environmentalists all the time, and he did, did, I knew many people who had talked to him. He said, but if I get a guy whose only point of view is to stop fish farming, we don't have anything to say to each other. Right? It's really a dialogue killer. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, because there's no place forward on that. I mean, at least right. like we know fish farming is going to take place, and like you're saying now, it's not a bad thing. It's how we do it that really needs to be addressed.
1: Right, and uh, there are all these problems that that, that have to be fixed. So I, that's what I would like to see is I see fish farming fixed. Yeah, you know the uh, uh, Orie Newton, yeah. who I dedicated my book to, who's this role model for environmentalism really this icelander came from a fishing family and went around the north atlantic um buying out fisheries raised money for it and bought out fisheries and it really knew how to talk to people and understand them and 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 he said to me one time he said you know if it wasn't for fish farming i wouldn't have been able to do this because what happens you take a country like scotland there's no commercial fishing of salmon anymore but people in scotland are accustomed to eating salmon very regularly and they're eating farm salmon. Yeah. And that's what makes it acceptable to them not to have commercial fishing anymore. You go to a market in Scotland, it's not like here where you have the farm salmon and the wild salmon. It's just, it's just salmon and it's all farmed, you know, but nobody's even asking the question.
0: Yeah. So they figured out a way to kind of balance out those things then.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, uh, I mean, if if, if if we're going to restrict and shut down commercial uh, salmon fishing, but there is a way of providing, you, you know, and you, you can argue that it's not as good. Um, I think it's not as good. I would try to eat a wild salmon. Yeah. But this interesting thing is happening, you know, that happened with meat. You know, it used to be like in America before the Civil War, everybody ate game. Yeah. And... They started eating uh, domestic meat, and you know it was fattier and it was milder tasting. And today, most people actually would rather have a good steak than you know venison or some uh, uh, wild game, which they say tastes gamey. Yeah, you want from game. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, the, the the same thing I have noticed is starting to happen with, with fish. I've had many people say to me that they prefer farm salmon to wild salmon because it's milder tasting and fattier.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess it makes sense. I mean, but yeah. I, do you see like, I mean, yeah, it's tough, right? Because you can't have that kind of fishery. we we're learning commercially wild, a wild fishery.
1: Well, we do, we, we do have some of them that are, that, that are viable. Yeah. Uh, uh, in this country, it's almost all from Alaska. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, Washington State consider themselves to be great salmon people, but you know, they're eating the same salmon that I'm eating in New York. Yeah, which is mm-hmm. frozen shipped from Alaska. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: I mean, are there? I mean, there, there certainly are some problems facing the Alaska wild fishery, though. Pebble Mine, I know, is a big one for a long time. Um, is yeah. that still an issue that's that's going on? Yes. Yeah,
1: yes it's 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 very scary uh we just about had that beat and then a couple of things happened donald trump got elected and that was the end of the epa and uh there was a change in governors in alaska the last governor opposed it. the current governor supports it um so it's uh it's looking kind of tough right now but uh really dangerous thing i mean why yeah this is what I don't understand, it's okay, so you, you want to have this mine on, you know, the shores of the largest sockeye run in the world, um, don't you have to make sure that the mine is safe? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the argument, you know, the, the, the one side is saying it's not safe, don't put it there, the other side is saying the hell of that we're putting it there. Right. Why isn't somebody saying, make it safe if you're going to put (laughs) it it there?
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's wacky. That's true. I mean, to your point about like, we're not going to get rid of mines. We're not going to get rid of these things. So it's, we just have to figure out a way for them to, to coexist and make sense. Yeah. Why isn't somebody saying that? Right. But, um,
1: there, there, are, uh, there are viable, uh, fisheries that, uh, uh, and they do have, you know they do have problems from time to time. I mean, uh, farm salmon is a, is a, is a, is a threat to wild salmon. Um, yeah. uh, attracts sea lice for one thing, and, uh, yeah. um, and there's you know the salmon escape. Now most farm salmon are Atlantic salmon, and people don't understand this. They get very upset when they ex- escape in the Pacific, but actually nothing happens because the wild salmon are different genus and it's a pretty hard fast rule in biology that different genuses don't mate yeah um so all escaped wild salmon in the pacific can do is set up their own colony and they can't compete because you know they're just they don't have the skill of wild fish but that's the problem in the atlantic so these fish escape and they mate with wild atlantic salmon and you know that once you start farming an animal uh, natural selection's out the window. Then you get human selection. Um, you know, cows, dairy cows are a complete product of human selection.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, so are farmed salmon. And what they've been selected for is to grow fast. Right. And they have no survival skills. They couldn't return to the river of their birth if they had one, which they don't. And they 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 don't know how to do anything. They're just a fast-growing dumb fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you don't want to have these crossbreeding with wild salmon because then they'll start becoming dumb also.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That that would not be good. I mean, maybe for our fishing abilities, uh, it might be good, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, so I guess you could replace this, this next question. You could replace the word salmon with the earth, but like, what do you think the future of our salmon is? Are you optimistic that the, the world of humans and the world of salmon can coexist and nature and humans will find a way to figure things out?
1: Um, Well, you know, optimism is a matter of temperament. And I tend to be optimistic in general. Um, But we have to do a lot and we have to do it fast. Uh, Climate change. uh, We haven't really talked about climate change, but climate change is maybe the biggest problem. Yeah. Uh, uh, Carbon dioxide loves water and something like a third of the carbon dioxide that's produced on land ends up in the ocean yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: and it uh changes the hydrogen content so that um it inhibits the growth of zooplankton and small fish like capelin so that if you talk to people uh in a few fisheries left in new england like the penobscot or in maritime canada or in europe um they will tell you that their, their returns aren't good, that less and less fish that go out to sea are returning to the river. Yeah. And the reason for that is that they don't make it because they're not finding enough to eat in the ocean. Right. The ocean is losing its carrying capacity, its ability to feed the animals that live there.
0: Right.
1: That is the scariest thing I've ever learned.
0: Yeah, that sounds if, terrifying.
1: If, if the oceans cannot feed the fish, we are really in trouble. Yeah.
0: what a daunting task. Like, how do we even begin to understand how to fix that?
1: Well, you know, these days I've been thinking, I I look at the way people are reacting to this virus, Mm -hmm. and I think, why haven't we been able to get this level of concern about climate change? Because I'll tell you, climate change will get to the point where it's much worse than this. Oh, yeah. And and, uh, we haven't been able to get people... uh, to, re- to react to it yeah. um,
0: I wonder why that is is it because it's more of this sort of people feel like less connected to it oh someone will figure it out
4: that's it that's exactly the
0: reason yeah For and sure. because
1: you know we're, we're we're saying you know that in in 30 years we're going to be in deep trouble but with yeah. the virus we're saying you could die tomorrow right you know right.
0: Yeah, I know. It's I know. I was. We, I think we've all been thinking the same thing, just uh, in how people are reacting to climate change in this sort of way. Because yeah, we're all under self isolation for weeks on end. Yeah. But climate change, like you say, is just as bad. I mean, if not, maybe a worse problem. Right. I
1: mean, suppose people were as scared about that. Yeah. You know, and they said, you know, because you, you think of the, you know, what we're doing to our lives to deal with this problem. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you know, what would they do to reduce carbon emissions if, uh, yeah. you know, so, I mean, you know, Donald Trump, the guy who's telling us that the virus isn't really a problem also tells us that climate change yeah. isn't a problem, exactly. uh, but the rest of us uh, have to do something. Exactly. Yeah.
4: But hey, it's over um, Easter Sunday. It's over according to Donald Trump. So Yes.
1: (laughs) Yes, Yes, because as we all know, viruses follow the Christian calendar.
4: (laughs) Absolutely. They
0: must. They must. Yeah. Thank God for that. (laughs)
4: Hey. Well, hopefully a a lot of people who are under quarantine realize that there's, um, you know, that because of this, that, you know, we are connected and, and start to realize that maybe climate change is a problem, you know, because everything- I, I wonder, be, I've
1: been thinking about this a lot, about what kind of changes is, is going to make to people's thinking. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it will make people more responsible and more cooperative, or will it just make people more antisocial and less connected? Yeah. I haven't talked to anybody in days. <laughs> in Manhattan. Yeah, yeah, that's <sighs> true. Yeah
3: stuck talking with
1: us. In all places. Uh, (laughs) Well, you can see I'm desperate.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, Okay, Mark, we've got five more questions. It's a segment of the show called Mitchie's Fishies 5. We ask every guest these same five questions about fly fishing. Um, So I'm going to ask them to you now. Um, Take your time answering them. It's not like a buzzer beater thing. Um, Just five more questions. Cool. So this first one is, what is your favorite fish and why? Probably pretty obvious, but, uh, you know.
1: Well, you know, I always, I always struggle with favorites. I mean, I guess um, wild salmon is my favorite, but I, I really like halibut a lot. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and you know, I like trout. If you can ever get wild trout, yep. um, you may have to do it yourself, but then there's that catch and release thing. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> exactly um number two is if you could fish anywhere in the world right now where would you go and why
1: uh this is march right
0: we can assume that it's the best time of year to go fishing for that fish so
1: oh best time of year
0: anywhere you could go
1: usually in march i fish the big wood river in idaho oh nice which i love and you know, the thing about winter fishing and it's still real winter in the Rockies. Yeah. Um, where, where are you guys? We're in
0: Toronto. Toronto. Oh, you're in yeah. Toronto. Yeah. Um,
1: well, you know, in the Rockies, it's still real winter and, you know, it's kind of cold. And as long as your, your line isn't freezing on the guides, you're okay. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is nobody's out there, out there fishing, but you.
2: Yeah.
1: And the the, 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 there's not much to eat in the high country. So the elk and moose are coming down to the river and, you know, mm-hmm. they over for a visit it's, it's a great experience
0: oh man yeah that sounds amazing geez wait yeah, we've definitely got to get out west i've never fished out west but uh we're going to be making a trip out there soon
1: yeah yeah i mean they're big wild rivers you know lewis and clark were astounded because they you know till they crossed the continental divide they had only known eastern rivers yeah. and eastern rivers are so tame compared to western rivers right yeah
4: yeah, I was telling the guys that I'm uh, looking to get my first double-handed, to, and uh, head over to the west. First spay rod, first, yeah. yeah. First spay rod,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I, uh, I use a spay rod sometime. I bought it in Scotland. There. Uh, oh, nice. I mean, Inverness made it, but I, I learned it oh. in Scotland from an Irish guy. Um, he, he spent a couple hours teaching me to use it, and he knew that I was a writer. And after a couple of hours, he said, "You should write a book: a hundred ways to never catch a salmon." <laughs> <laughs> but I, once I got the hang of it, I, re- I really, uh, I really liked it. You have a lot more power in casting than you do with a one-handed rod. Yeah, yeah. I, I did catch a salmon that day too. Oh wow! Oh, right so- And you know, I realized that catching a salmon is not that common in Scotland because. At this point, I knew a lot of people in Scotland because I was going to all the rivers and interviewing people, and, yeah. uh, and I got all these emails the same day congratulating me on catching a salmon. So, <laughs> you know, I realized it's it's not an everyday thing.
0: Well, that's very nice. That's an awesome way to end that day, then. Jeez, because yeah, I know it's probably pretty tough to to get one. You said your rod, your first rod there, was built by a guy um, in Inverness. Yeah. Oh man, that's that's a really special rod.
1: Yeah. Well, it, it's, you know, that's where they build them. It's yeah. bay rods. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. So number three is, and I know you said you, you struggle with favorites, but uh, this one is, what is your favorite or best fishing memory? Anything that just bubbles up to mind when it comes to a time you spent on the water that was just exceptional.
1: Well, you know, it's a, memories of commercial fishing come to me, you know, yeah. uh, right. uh, you know, just being out. God, I remember, uh, hand-lining for cod off of Newfoundland. Yeah. And, you know, you just get out there in the morning. Um, and that's the real North Atlantic, you know. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, just beautiful being out there. Oh, God, I can uh, imagine. You know, pretty much any day you go fishing is a good day. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Unless you do it in Manhattan.
0: <laughs> yeah. I see a lot of
1: fishing in Manhattan, but I, I'm, I'm going to pass on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: that's for sure. Um, okay, number four is why do you fly fish? Why do you fly fish at all?
1: Well, you know, my next book after this one is about fly fishing. Oh, wicked. <laughs> oh, right on. And one of the things that I deal with is that question, yeah. which I had never really thought about before, but I forced myself to say, and, and and the first question is why do I fish?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, I, when I was a little boy, I noticed there was this pond I used to sit by and read and I noticed there were fish in the pond and I went to the hardware store and I got a hook mm-hmm. and I caught some worms and I took a string and a branch and, and I fished with these little fish. Yeah. And I just have always had this impulse to catch fish.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I can't really tell you why. Yeah. Um, but it's something that I've always felt it's impulse to do. Mm -hmm. Now, fly fishing, um, uh, you get involved in nature at a level that is unlike any other fishing. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I mean, you basically find yourself trying to think like the fish, to outthink the fish. John Steinbeck once said that anybody tries to outthink a fish and fails. deserves what they get, (laughs) but they're pretty smart (laughs) and you're, you know, you're on their turf. And, you know, so you find yourself thinking everything about the fish and the river and the way the river flows and the way the food goes and where the insects go. And um, so you were involved in nature at a level uh, you aren't with any other kinds of fishing. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, it's, it's the most demanding kind of fishing. Yeah. Um I remember once I was in this I was in this lodge in Alaska. I had been I'd been out in these places where, you know, there was no electricity or running water, and I was in these little tin boats getting tossed around and I was really exhausted and and I just checked in at this fancy fishing lodge. And um I got, a, I got a nice river, I got some uh, chum. Uh, but at night there were these people who had been helicoptered to some special place and they're talking about how they you know they caught so many fish, their arms were getting tired. <laughs> and I was thinking that's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's fun is you know when you're in Scotland and you spend all day and then you catch that one fish.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah the challenge of it. exactly like you say why fly fishing exists at all. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's a great that's a great answer. Um, number five, Mitchy's fishy's five. What fly pattern represents you best, and why? If you were a fly, what fly would you be?
1: <laughs> well, I have two answers to that. The re- the real one, and, and then and the romantic one. <laughs> Perfect. The real yes. one is I would be a midge. Nice. They're right. you know they're 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 small and inoffensive and trout love them. (laughs) Uh, um, Although, you know, if I wanted to be a classy fly, I would be a dry fly and not a wet fly, you know. Yeah. Uh Um, But the fly that I'm intrigued with is the McGinty. Have you ever heard of a McGinty?
0: No. Which fly is that?
1: You you can't even buy them anymore. I don't think they exist anymore. I have some because I got a pattern and I tied them myself. Okay. Hemingway fished with McGinty's and he mentions it in his writing and sun also rises so they fish with the McGinty. a McGinty and McGinty okay. is an old-fashioned a 19th century fly that imitated um, a dead bumblebee floating Bumble down the bumblebee, river.
4: Yeah, so, it looks like a
1: bee. There looks, you go. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Um, That's awesome. And, uh, so I've tied a bunch of them. I haven't tried them yet because I can't recall fishing anywhere where I saw bumblebees floating down the river. So I'm not sure how that would <laughs>
0: work. <laughs> yeah. Why Why would you be that fly?
1: Uh, because it has some history. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. Right. Such, a it's cool good Such a cool yeah. pattern. Such a cool pattern.
4: Kind of looks like a bit of a, a blend with an Atlantic salmon fly, like it's the, how, how the wings kind of come out. It just kind of has
1: that profile. Right. Well, the so thing, it. But, but it, it, it imitates. A real bug. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah you yeah. know, salmon flies are, I mean, that's the fun thing about salmon flies is they don't imitate anything. They're just complete whimsy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, I suppose if I wanted to be a fly, I would want to be a 19th century salmon fly, one of those British things that, you know, have 50 different uh, exotic and now extinct bird feathers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, nowadays, uh <laughs> Nowadays, Atlantic salmon flies are really very uh, uh, lightly dressed, usually yeah. <laughs> double hooked, but light, lightly dressed, some good color. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just, it's sort of anecdotal, you yeah. know, what's working. We don't know why. I mean, we don't even know why a salmon, you know, once salmon enter the river, they don't eat anymore. Right. So why are they biting at flies at all? Mm-hmm. We don't really Who knows? Know. We don't know, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's true. Um, Mark, thanks so much for coming on the show to talk with us today. We, we super appreciate um, you chatting with us. My pleasure. Enjoy talking
1: to you guys. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Mark, also, where can people find uh, find your work and find this book, Salmon?
1: Well, you used to be able to find it in bookstores. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, nowadays, uh, you know, you can get it online anywhere. <laughs> Hopefully, bookstores will reopen and you can get them there. But for now, you, you have to get it online.
0: I'll post the uh, link to that in the uh, show notes as well, so people can find it, so they don't have to go outside to the bookstores in these strange right. times. Uh, but yeah, thanks again for coming on the show, Mark. It was uh, really an honor getting a chance to talk. Yeah, yeah, pleasure.
3: Really. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, Mark. Thank pleasure.
0: Okay, thanks so much, and uh, take care. You too. Okay, bye. Bye. Right. Well, that was Mark. Uh, Mark, thanks for coming on the show. Um, yeah, check out his book, uh, Salmon. Uh, it is extremely informative. He goes over everything. Um, it's
3: it's more than just about salmon it's like a history it's like a world history it's like about you know when like he said like rivers being developed in england and ireland japan and of course like the colonization and industrialization of our rivers here in north like it's a it's a big undertaking in terms of like a project and he also like chapter 11 goes into a pretty deep history of fly fishing too so Like, it's a lot of cool info in that book. Big it,
4: time, super, super well written. It's not just like, you know, uh, fact on fact on fact. It's like, it's a story and a bit of, you know, um, yeah. the way he romances each character, you know, not like real character, but. Well, know, the
3: Fisher character. characters. Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. He's an
0: awesome, he's an awesome writer. And he's lived a really uh, interesting life for sure. Um, Even just in like right off the top of that prologue, talking about how he went actually commercial salmon fishing and with these guys and, yeah, it's really cool. Um so definitely check the book out. I'll put it in the show notes. Um give it a read. Uh it's a good book to just kind of have to to flip through when you, you know, when you're looking for more information about salmon maybe and just want to learn a little bit mm-hmm. more about salmon. Um definitely. but check it out. And um
3: and it's going to be uh well I mean it was published by Patagonia. Yeah, it's not Patagonia. Which is cool, so and in that. Yeah, so I mean I'm sure it'll be available at Patagonia stores and Patagonia yeah. online as well. Um so yeah, I'm, Probably grab it from a bunch of different places. Yeah,
0: totally. Um, Wow, what are you guys doing today? We're not fishing. (laughs) Nice, you're working today, eh? So you're working today,
3: Mitch? What are you doing? What are you doing today?
0: I'm working today. That's cool. Yeah, ever since this uh, isolation thing's been going on, it just seems like I just kind of work every day because it's like weekend it's like oh it's the weekend i don't want to work but it's like well what else am i gonna do what What else are you gonna do yeah exactly Sitting here you know i may as well help out and doing something but what are you doing today aldo
3: i'm gonna keep uh, working on uh youtubeifying our podcasts
0: nice yeah so watch for that you can listen to our podcast on youtube soon um you got some quarantine cuisine cooking up today what are you gonna be eating baby
3: oh today um well today it's like Bree and I, um, we kind of like have one date day still, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I don't know. I think we might actually, I uh, get some delivery. Today. Ooh, nice. We, Claire. We, yeah, baby. Nice. Yeah. Get some steak, get some steak frites. I've that got some good. red wine I need to drink. I've got some 40 Creek.
4: Dude,
0: that sounds like a.
3: Make some, gonna make some 40 Creek old fashions.
4: Oh, I, think. Uh, I would love. Lawn? Oh yeah. I love the copper pot, man. It's not even, I just, yeah, I could <clears> use <throat> some right now. Can I come over? Oh, wait, no, I can't. I
0: can't. You can't come over. No, you, you can watch out. Aldo drink.
3: <laughs> FaceTime me later and I'll just like drink in front of you yeah
4: I, no, <laughs> sounds
3: <I'm>, so unhealthy <laughs> like can, mentally. I
4: fa- can I FaceTime you? yeah or no you and Bree want some like you know together time so I, I have some scotch Yelma. Oh, do you have any scotch what? or anything? I got nothing man other than the 40 Creek I got nothing
3: you got nothing? I've got like 60 plus bottles of shit behind <laughs> me <laughs> I got some
0: nice <laughs> Bowmore 12 I'll drink that later you can watch me uh, oh, Yelma.
3: I've got some Balveny really? yeah we
0: should have a scotch later or tomorrow I
3: can't, I can't I can't I can't have a have scotch tomorrow we should have a scotch party I've got the Balvenie
0: 10. Oh, nice, perfect. Let's let's drink some scotch tomorrow, and uh, maybe we'll tie do a, a fly. Yeah, maybe we'll do a little YouTube video tomorrow. Do you want to?
3: Okay, yeah, that sounds like fun.
4: Okay. Wait, am I, in- I included? No, 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 you're not. Sorry.
3: You don't have uh, fly tying stuff. I mean, I guess you could watch and. Drink. Yeah, you're
0: definitely gonna be on it. You're gonna watch. We're gonna. You're gonna. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Let's talk about what we could do. But we're definitely let's do a little YouTube video tomorrow. That'd be fun. Doesn't even have yeah, to be live. Okay. We'll just record it. That'd be fun.
3: Yeah, um, for sure. Okay. Well, well, shit, everybody! I uh, hope everyone's keeping well. Um, strange times. Yeah. Um, again, uh, we're doing this every Sunday.
0: Yeah. So next Sunday too, there's going to be another show coming out with uh, with another Steven guest, Stephen Brent. It's going to be good.
3: That'll be super. Who's cool. Stephen?
0: Although, what's Steven's deal?
3: Stephen is a sportscaster. Uh, he writes and um, uh, he writes and broadcasts for Sportsnet. Um, I know him. Uh, as kind of like I always turn to him. I'm a big Blue Jays fan, yeah. so he does a lot of baseball. He does a lot of writing for every sport, but I, I read and listened to his newscast about the Blue Jays, and uh, so for me, this is uh, a pretty cool nerdy moment because I'm a big fan of his, and yeah. uh, uh, he's a great uh, fly angler. He used to come into drift all the time, and he's a passionate Atlantic salmon angler, and he loves fishing the flats for salt. So Yulma, you and him will have a lot in common for sure. He's got a
0: nice um, soothing radio voice as well.
3: Yeah, he's got a nice Ana- baritone. Announcer, yeah. Very oh, oh. baritone-y. It's like this. Like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: If only we were in studio, but this is uh, the best case scenario either way. So look for that show. It's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Well, okay, for, bye. Thanks everybody, for, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everybody, for listening to the show. And uh, uh, that's it for me, Mitch Aldo.
3: Uh yeah,
4: bye everybody. Yama. Bye everyone.
3: Excited to see you guys next week. <laughs> okay, see you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, Eric. You can find all of SoFly's content at SoFly.ca. On Instagram, we're at the SoFly Crew. You can reach us at thesofly crew at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or concerns. On Facebook, we're SoFly and our podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify.